Everybody, this is Adam Shartoff, your host of Filmwax Radio. It's Friday, December eighteenth, two thousand and twenty. This is episode number six hundred forty-eight of the show. We have on this episode two great, great guests. It's a great show because it celebrates the film industry, the scope of it. Uh, we have on one of the pioneers in the documentary world, Gordon Quinn who is one of the founders of Cartemquin Films, based out of Chicago. But he's been around for ages and has been one of the great, I'd say, icons of, of, of the documentary form, certainly contributed to making documentaries into a popular format, which they are certainly at this day and age. So I'm really thrilled. I've been wanting to get Gordon on the podcast for, for quite some time. I had heard that he, well, and heard and saw that he had a terrible bout of COVID nineteen recently, and uh, he came out of it in good shape. Thank, thank heavens. He's going to talk about that as well as his work, past and present. It's it's a fun conversation. We'll begin with uh, that, Gordon Quinn, in a moment, and after that, I'll talk about Matteo Garone, the Italian director, uh, in a little bit before that segment. But I will let you know that this is uh, wait. First of all, what a sweet guy this is, this guy is. Uh, I had such a fun time talking to him. It's a brief conversation. We didn't have a lot of time, but he was in Italy. I was here, of course, in New York, and we had a terrific conversation. He, if you're a fan of art film or just international cinema, world cinema, you will know Gamora, Gamora, his film from some years ago, and Reality. Any number of films. This new one is a live-action version of the, of course, old Italian story, Pinocchio. And it is really good. And it stars uh, Roberto Benini as Geppetto. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. I did try to get Roberto on. That did not work out, sadly. He doesn't speak English very much, so maybe... It was going to get complicated anyway, but I was thrilled to have uh, Matteo, and we'll bring him on in a little while. But first here, again, Gordon Quinn, one of the founders of Cartem Quinn Films, a production company out of, a documentary production company out of uh, Chicago. They do amazing things. They also create uh, labs and uh, and uh, opportunities for countless young filmmakers. Check out their website, cartemquinn.com. Gordon Quinn is the artistic director and founding member of Cartemquin Films. Gordon has been making documentaries for over 50 years. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times called his first film, Home for Life, uh, which he made in 1966, an extraordinarily moving documentary. With Home for Life, Gordon established the direction he would take for the next four decades, making cinema verite films that investigate and critique society by documenting the unfolding lives of real people. You know, under his 
shall we say, tutelage. Uh, Steve James has emerged as one of the most important documentary filmmakers of the last 30 years with like Hoop Dreams and other films since. And um, Gordon has had his hands on many incredible documentaries, including Vietnam, Long Time Coming, Golub, Five Girls, Refrigerator, Mothers, and Stevie, just to name a few. He's executive produced countless films, including Minding the Gap, Edith and Eddie, Abacus, many of which we've covered over the years on this very podcast. Oh, I, I should mention before I sign off, this conversation, as well as the one with Matteo Garone, which is coming up, both are available on the Filmwax Radio YouTube channel, which I call Filmwax TV, but you can go to youtube.com slash Filmwax Radio and you can watch either of these conversations as opposed to just listening. But here's the audio version of the chat. Here is Gordon Quinn for the first time, and hopefully not the last, on Filmwax Radio. taking me so long to uh, have the opportunity to make this work, but I'm glad we finally did. Well, great. Yeah. Can I start off asking about how you're feeling, how you're doing? I know you just came over recently. To say a terrible bout of COVID is uh, I, sounds a little bit redundant. Yeah, I, I had it really bad. Yeah, I mean, I was in the hospital for a month and then in rehab for several weeks and, you know, intubated for 13 days. My goodness. I'm terrific, really. Yeah. I made a, a, a somewhat miraculous recovery, really got into rehab. I just, earlier today, I was like, you know what? It's not snowing yet. I'm going to get my, you know, I'm trying to build up my stamina walking. And I've been back working full time. So. Remarkable. Can I ask you, were you in pretty good health beforehand? Did that help or did you just get um, lucky? I wasn't in bad health. I have leukemia, uh, which I've been treated for for 20 years, and that may have contributed it. Uh, Getting it. On the other hand, um, you know, I'm I'm now 78, too. And, you know, my wife is the same age, and she tested positive, but never, she never had a symptom, never got anything. So I don't know whether it was, you know, the, the leukemia. When I was in the hospital, you know, still in the fog and I'm hooked up to all these IVs and I'm hearing them crushing up the pills that I take for the leukemia. It's a, it's a new wonder drug, you know, unbelievably expensive, but, uh, you know, and it's like, 
but you're doing four pills, but my dosage is only three, you know, and I'm, I overheard this. And they said, no, no, it says three right here. And the, my oncologist called me who I hadn't seen, you know, you don't see anybody forever. Yeah, right. Of course. Uh, but he said, no, there's a clinical trial going on for the drug you're taking that it may be active for COVID. So you're not actually in the trial, but I, he says it's not going to hurt you. And who knows, it might help. Right. Your trial adjacent, though, because yeah. it's they, sort of unofficial, he, an unofficial. He, he sent me the link. He wrote it up for some journal. They have these things like case studies. And so he wrote up my COVID case. Do you have your sense of taste and smell and all that? Did you? Lose I never it? lost that. Okay. I didn't have those symptoms. But when I got sick, I got back from Australia. I'd been at a conference there and doing a lot of mentoring with, with filmmakers. So I was with a lot of people, you know, like one or two people around a laptop computer, you know, and this is early March. So I get back from Australia and I'm, I'm fine for a day or two. And then I'm really sick. Right. Really sick. Yeah. Yeah. And it's scary because Gordon, you got it early on when, we really didn't have a lot of information as you, as I'm, I'm not telling know. you something you don't know. So, but I mean, getting COVID, I think in March or April is a lot different than getting it now. It doesn't mean it's any uh, less of a, a major issue, but we know more. And so the, the doctors know more, you know, yeah, more importantly. They didn't, they didn't know a lot. And, and I couldn't, it took me three days to get tested. I mean, I'm really sick. And going from place to place, trying yeah. to get, you know, literally physically going to these places and then not being able to get t- tested. And finally, uh, I think my oncologist, who was like, don't come here. You know, he doesn't want me around his patients. Of course not. Called and he said he put me on the uh, the list in the emergency room at Northwestern where I, where I go. And I went to get the test. And before they got the results, they took me in the hospital. They took one look at me and said, oh, this guy is. And I was intubated that night. Yeah. Wow. Well, but it's, yeah. I recovered. Yeah, yeah no. Without, uh... without any of the kind of lingering, you know, I, some people who I, I was someone who did have hallucinations and I remembered them. Uh, and you know, there've been people struggled with cognitive issues and other kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the very well. Yeah. They get into a delirium. My dad had that problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would, that I was delirious. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had a chance to see 76 days yet? No, I haven't. I'm very interested to see that. Uh, we are involved. I can't talk about it, but there is a film about China and the whole thing in China that I have seen. It's just not released yet. Sure. Well, it, it's not our. It, it's it's in association with us, but it's it's you know for for complicated reasons. I can't tell you anything about it at the moment. But it uh, I can assure people listening or watching that by the end of this conversation, Gordon will tell spill the beans completely about this film. <laughs> referring to because i just keep going and i go i break it down get me to it right well at least you have 76 days to look forward to it i mean it's a it's also a difficult watch from an emotional standpoint as i i just had one of these zooms with one of the three directors the one that was based in new york city how Wu, and he's chinese american and he uh it was quite an intense conversation but the film is is 
an important film. It's an important film to see on a number of levels, you know, because in a way, even though there might be a segment of the population that might blame the Chinese, you know, which is, is somewhat irrational. But the more important thing is the humanity through line. You'll, you just will, anybody, everybody at this point knows somebody, right, who's gotten COVID. I mean, pretty much if you haven't gotten yourself, you probably have somebody close to you or there's somebody close to you that has somebody close to them. So you have a connection and you'll see that the folks in, the, in, that, in that Wuhan hospital are you and they're your and cousin. And that the, you know, what I saw in this other film and that the, you know, the, the medical personnel are also, it's the same. You know, when I was in rehab, uh, the therapists, because they're all masked up and everything, and so they would have a little badge with their picture on it so you could see their face. And there's a scene of them figuring that out in Wuhan and figuring out, you know, we should put a picture on so they can see who we are. And they oh, were, yeah. you know, I'm an old guy, so I don't, I'm like, Okay, I can sort of see you. They were doing, they were eight by tens, you know, they had these big pictures of themselves on their on their chest. It was kind of cool. In uh seventy-six days, another way to kind of deal with this, I don't know what you want to call it, but the gear that they all the medical professionals and and you know were wearing, anybody who worked in the hospital, especially back in Jan- uh January when they when the yeah. virus hit. In, in Wuhan, as little as we knew back in January, <laughs> they knew less. We we had their, uh, we could leverage off of some information that we were getting from China by then and from other places that are already dealing with, but they had no idea how, how like quickly and how ambitious this virus was. So they were like, it, like hermetically, you know, level, hermetic level of, uh, uh, and oh, they, they would, you know they they had uh, they had a national policy too. I mean, whatever problems yeah. they had compared to what it went on in America, it was just nightmarish. Well, and I don't know if you're talking about once it became politicized. I'm even going before that though. Before we started politicizing this thing as an issue, uh, but which was maybe 48 hours in this country, but yeah, it was but, not long. No, but in China, yeah, they were terrified of course and but they used these these outfits they were wearing these white you know uh smocks and yeah I body saw, suits yeah. and they would paint on the like they had a, somebody like drawing beautiful things on their backs and they would it was another way of kind of coping you know yeah it, it's a lot of similarities i think they were you know these two films probably overlap a bit i'll have to i i know i saw my list of things to see though i really yeah. want to see that and sure you know i got interested uh there's a piece on the good morning america website uh about me and my covid experience i i had oh. some home movies and stuff it's like an eight minute piece uh and they Is put that together, GMA, you said? huh good morning america good morning america's website yeah if you just google good morning america and me you'll you'll find it uh and it's like a yeah eight minute piece about my COVID journey, you know. Okay. Some selfies I took in the hospital, and you know stuff. That that'd be a way for you to cope, I guess. And yeah, so I, I in that I describe that you know after being intubated the second time, I was insisting I wanted to be a DNR and all of that. Mm. And 
Yeah. I, I was really struggling and I got the, I realized that I got interested in an idea for a movie, which I may or may not make, you know, not so much about my COVID journey, but about the difficulty, a short, about the difficulty of communication across the intubation barrier between patients and medical personnel. And that idea of having something that I still wanted to do, it was like, that made me want to come back. Um, and I, I talk about that in that, in that short piece. I'll look forward to looking at it. And, and next week I'm doing grand rounds with the doctor that I had the DNA, DNR drama with because she wanted to talk me down from that position before she extubated me. Uh, and she did. Uh, and we're going to be in a panel together, you know, like really for the first Where time. Where is that? Yeah. I'm, Where? Uh, at at uh, Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. It's with their ethics department where I did uh, rehab. Okay. Where I spent a couple of weeks in rehab. And, you know, for me, I'm not someone who appears in my own films. You know, Steve James has and other filmmakers do. Yeah. You, you Sometimes you hear my voice, maybe, you know, but it's not really my thing. And now I'm in front of the camera around this COVID experience. And it's been interesting, you know, that people yeah. want my story. They want to hear. Well, interesting is a vague word, uh, Gordon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, well, I mean, it's just... It's, Elaborate it's, a little? It's different, and it's given me some insights to, you know, from so many years uh, behind the camera, you know, what it feels like to be kind of in front of the camera about, not mm-hmm. about your work, you know, but it, about something in your personal life. Because obviously I'm interviewed about movies and I, I've had that experience, but right. it's more, you know, being interviewed and people want you to share your feelings and your fears and, you know, all of that stuff that we're always looking for in a documentary. Right, right. It's interesting. This is, you know, what, you're making me think about what I'm doing myself, which is uh, another conversation, I guess, but but in a moment of, or just succinct way i try to kind of sneak it in a little bit and if it happens i don't really search it out but if it it does happen it happens it's not something i would you know this is kind of about art making and about the industry of art making but it's not uh exclusively that you know if i get to know somebody on a personal level through this that's that's a great you know result but uh Speaking of Steve James, I, I happened to catch a video he made, which is a, a fundraiser video, only kind that Steve might make, which is uh, kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek, where I think he said, and I don't want to put you on the spot because <laughs> it's a financial thing, but he, uh, there was apparently some goal of $55,000 that you're trying to raise for Car Point, oh, I assume. okay, yeah, yeah. And he said that you were matching people's donations yeah, we are. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I don't know if this is clear in the thing or not, but I, I'm well, sure. you have the opportunity to clarify. I, I, am sure that I, I can talk about it. Uh, you know, it's, there's an insurance policy that I had that is Cartempwin, the organization is the beneficiary of if, if I die, but it's also a disability pro 
policy if I become disabled. Um, and it's, we've had it for so long, it pays for itself. We never have to pay anything. And it generates positive income. So there was money there that I could take out. And Jolene, before she left the ED, said, well, you've got to wait and see if you have all these hospital bills and everything. And it's like, I got it all. I mean, I know I'm on Medicare. I have a supplement. Everything was covered. You've got literally everything. Right. You know, the only thing that wasn't covered is my uh, cancer medication. You know? Well, you said that was very costly, but it's very co- I mean, a lot of it's covered, but it's, it's something I still have out of pocket. But I had that before. And so I'm able to take a chunk of that money from that insurance policy, which is cash. The taxes have already been paid. And then we have a donor who's also given a chunk of money. And I guess we're 55 years old. So they've made that into this fundraising thing. Yeah. And I see. Okay. Steve was joking that you have a rep- your reputation about your reputation. He, I hope, you know, he, I don't know if I saw this thing. <laughs> well, you should watch I it. should look for it. What, what yeah, it? I can. It's on his Facebook page. It's very easy to find. I'll, I'll, I'll track it down. I think he was coaxing you, like trying to coax you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if you watch it, you know what I'm saying. He was having uh, fun. No, it was totally having fun with no, you. He, he teasing you. No, there's, a, there's a lot of teasing going on. Well, when I was in the hospital, they did a thing just, you know, I've been being teased for 50 years for always wearing white socks. And so they did a little thing about that and okay. put it up on social media. Well, I feel left out. I feel like I, you know, there's this wonderful uh, production company in Chicago called Cartemquin Films. And it feels like since I'm not central to the documentary culture or community, I, I, I have to make a lot more of an effort to, you know, keep in touch with you guys. And I, I've been doing the podcast version of this for quite some time. So maybe five years ago, I had Tim, Tim, Tim on. That's been about, oh, and Steve James, of course, has been on a number of times. So that's, that's maybe my connect, closest connection to it. Well, you should also, you know, we, a lot of what we do, I mean, we're kind of known for our films. Yeah. But we also develop filmmakers and the whole right. new generation, you know, Bing Yu, Jenny Shu, who did Finding Ying Ying. You know, we have new films coming out, uh, Unapologetic by Ashley O'Shea. And she did the podcast. Oh, great. She did. Great. I know that Steve was a producer on that or executive producer. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. And I did, uh, what was the one from last uh, two years ago now, I guess, um, won all the awards. Yeah. Uh, a- Asian filmmaker. Oh, something. yeah. Bing. Bing. Uh, Bing. Yeah. Bing Wu. Bing. Yeah. Bing. Bing's film, uh, Mining the Gap. About Mining the, the Gap. Young, young men in sp- skateboarding. Yeah. Yeah. That was quite a quite a powerful film. Yeah. And, uh, Terrific. Yeah. Yeah. And he uh, he came through our Diverse Voices program, which is a, you know, a program for people of color and emerging filmmakers. So you, you and Cartem Quinn, I guess, because I remember the 50th anniversary was recently. So I'm going to guess it's around 52 years ago that the company was. Uh, it, was it was five years ago. That's why they're doing this. 55. Five already. Yeah, because they're saying 55 oh. years and, uh, you know, gotcha. uh, 55,000 we're trying to raise. I see. I see. So, well, it sounds very hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a. Uh, if we can get out of this lockdown, it's, it's an exciting time. Although it's, it's, you know, 
everybody's working. I mean, I, we're all zoomed out in, in one sense, but, you know, editing is going on films. I'm trying to complete a film. Now there's films that are being finished. It's like, it's, you know, people are just working from home and there's a few people that are in the studio. Studio is basically shut down, but there's one editing room. I know that they're, they're editing in and, you know, a few things yeah. in post that go on over there. So what kind of, what kind of uh, space do you have there? Um, Cartelquin, and you can find it on the internet. We have an old building that we've owned since 1971. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a four flat, a corner building, you know, a storefront and three apartments. And we now occupy the whole thing. We didn't originally, we just occupied the top four, but we bought it in 1971 for $21,000. <laughs> so yeah. obviously it, it's, it, of course we're artists. So we move into the neighborhood. That's the kiss of death for the neighborhood. It's, you know, long since gentrified. Uh, what neighborhood is it? Uh, it's it's Westlake View. Mm-hmm. Okay. I... It's, it's near, uh, it, it's just a block east of Damon on Wellington, which is 3000 North. All right. Well, I'm going to have to go onto Google Maps after this, yeah. I guess, and start doing my my retroactive homework. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've been to Chicago now. So, but I keep threatening a trip over there and to check out the 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 your 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 offices there. But you have the so you have the editing facilities there. We and, do, uh, but you know, of course, that's changed now, and more and more yeah. people are able to work at home. Or sure, differently. so. It, but it, but it has to be much more beneficial to to be in a in an editing unit absolutely. at Temquin where you have uh, all these mentors as yeah, well as other just, editors. Yeah, and people in the next room working on something. So that that is, you know, we when we moved from film and then to tape uh, and then to digital, you know, there was a point where in the digital point, people were starting to work more from home. It wasn't worth them while to rent an editing room. But little by little, people started coming back for that atmosphere to be, you know, sure. in, in a creative space. Right. I mean, obviously, a creative, a uh, whole creative environment is very uh, inspiring for anybody also. And working at home alone in, in isolation, it's a little harder to do that, although some people are very good at that particular yeah. uh, method. But uh, now I don't want to, I'm not asking for the origin story. Uh, I guess, give me one more. Uh, rather than going into the origin story, because I'm sure you've told it a million times, we don't need to do that. But I am curious about one thing, which I like to ask about, shall we say pioneers like yourself in the documentary world? <laughs> Because I got, I've known Al Mazels and mm-hmm. D.A. Pennebaker and Fred Wiseman, and I don't mean to, you know, go through the whole group of people of, right. uh, but people that been were there in the beginning. And the only reason I bring it up is because there was no document. I mean, there was, but there it was television. There was a specific type of mm-hmm. documentary being made back then. It wasn't considered a career choice. So I'm kind of wondering, just of kind of that part of your story more than anything else, like how. Kind of that a worked, personal yeah. story, right? Well, I actually, uh, I saw Ricky Leacock and Joyce Chopra's Happy Mother's Day when I was in college. And it was like, oh, that's what I want to do. You know, it was oh, just, it's an aha moment. Yeah. And I was at the University of Chicago. There was no film department or anything. But actually, a li- good liberal arts background was a very good, you know, I just started working right out of college. I already actually was working for people already while I was in college. But when I went to interview for a job, I went, remember, at CBS, and I was looking, you know, 
okay, they do film, they're sort of like documentaries or, you know. And what I saw was that there were these like two career paths. You become a reporter or a writer, or you mm -hmm. become a camera person or a technician. And it was like, no, I want to make movies. You know, I want to make, and there just was no place for that. So I realized that I was going to have to somehow start my own thing. And we were, the people you mentioned, you know, Leacock, Penny Baker, the Maisels brothers, I brought my, bought my first lens from Albert uh, because we were all converting cameras to be crystal controlled, wireless, and fit right. up on your shoulder. Right, Penny Baker was key in doing that, right? Yeah. In creating he, a lightweight. Penny Baker uh, designed the one that uh, uh, Bogdanich, I'm not saying his name quite right, but was building in New York. And the guy I was working for, Mike Shea, bought the first one of those cameras back to Chicago. And it was like $20,000 in those days, you know, which is an enormous amount. Which was like $100,000 now. Yeah, yeah. it would just be an enormous, you know, very expensive. And I worked with him. And then as we were getting ready to start Pertemco night, had a general camera conversion and, you know, had it on my shoulder, you know, I'd gotten a short lens from Albert with a short finder so I could get it up on my shoulder, but it was still connected by a wire uh, to the sound guy. And I had a battery thing, you know, cause it was the batteries weren't on the camera either. And I'm talking to my friend who's a physicist at the University of Chicago and he says, well, I think we could build a, a crystal controlled power supply for a few hundred dollars. And I was like, really Danny? And we did. And so we had the second crystal controlled camera in Chicago. And I still have that camera. There's a short video about it. Uh, camera one. Of course there is. An, inter an intern did a video about me, uh, who then years later, she was the producer of uh, Ashley's film, Morgan Johnson. Uh, but she made a film about the camera and all the technology involved in it and everything. And, and you know, it wasn't as elegant as the one that Mike had brought back from New York, where all the electronics were inside and everything. But we had a little box and we had the batteries went in a little module right in the back of the camera. And so it's the only camera, you know, the only film camera that we hung on to because it's a home brew, you know, you couldn't really sell it to somebody else. Well, it, was there ever, a, did you ever grapple with the idea of, of relocating to New York? Because like, I guess Al yeah. did uh, from Boston, I think. And uh, although yeah, that, many, many like Errol Morris and uh, Fred Wiseman have stayed in Boston, yeah. for instance. So maybe it's a stupid question. Well, it, it, no, it's, it's, a, it's a good question because at that time there was nothing in Chicago. There was no funding here. There was, you know, it was just a very difficult environment. But we made, when we started Cartemquin, uh, Temner and I uh, made a conscious decision. We're staying in Chicago. We are going to find a way mm. to make this. And now Chicago is a very different environment. There's all kinds of, there's foundations here. There's, you know, Festivals. Festivals, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but that's always kind of been a core value of mine, which is if you look at an industry, I, I know I, many years ago I was on a panel uh, about public television and somebody says, well, can you tell us what does public television want? And I said, that's the wrong question. 
The question is, what is it that you want to do? What's the story that needs to be told? And how do you make public television want that? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, in a sense, that's one of the things that happened with Utrecht, you know, where it was like a, a, a long battle to finally get people to see the, va- the value of what we were doing uh, and how important it was. It, it was not there at the beginning. But once it hit so big, it opened up a lot more interest in it that kind of storytelling. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, we, we were, we consciously planted our flag in Chicago. Yeah, right. Yeah. And now uh, so, it's a part of Pertemquin's identity. We talk about being Midwestern filmmakers and it influences your work. You know, it's like when we did a big series like the New Americans, uh, in one sense, it's national. We're looking at people immigrating to America from all over the world. And we want to give that sense in different cities and different places. But it's no accident out of seven stories who are set in Chicago. You know what I mean? It's like, it's when you're in a place, it makes a difference in terms of how you tell the story and what kind of stories you, you tell and the relationship that you have over time to your subjects. We talked about Steve James a little bit. Uh, he, of course... He was put on the map by his film Hoop Dreams, which was an enormous success. Unfortunately, I don't think it didn't win the Oscar. I, I don't think it did, right? Because that was the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a nomination because... for editing. Yeah, no, I know it's, it's an brilliant, but Oh, well. It was, it, should... it was a bit of a scandal. But as John Eltis, the guy who, uh, he was like our, our sales agent. He was in that builder at that time, but he also had a PR business. And he was like, I know you're upset guys, but really this is incredible. Cause it's like, there was so much press and, you know, it was a big story. Yeah. You didn't get the documentary well, nomination. And John was like, it's okay guys. <laughs> well, I don't remember what won that year. Did it, did, there wasn't a documentary category, was there? Uh, yeah, there was. I okay. That was uh, it. it did, we didn't get a nomination in the documentary category and there'd been, talk of maybe we get a best picture nomination i could have seen that 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 is still because uh, still i i have my criterion copy i'm looking at it right now cool behind the camp behind the uh criterion is great you know we we uh a lot of our films are with them and we we the quality with which they put together those dvds or you know the extras that they do and that's, yeah did you work with them on something like that? Yeah. Yeah, we, we work with them on many of our films that are they're there, you know. And just recently, after I got out of the hospital, I was doing a, you know, over Zoom. I, they were, sure. A, a, Abby was interviewing me and I had the camera set up, you know, so, a little high-def camera that I had at home. So we were on Zoom. But then I was able to send her the interview, you know, for the extra they were doing. Sure, sure. I would assume two entities like Criterion and Cartempo probably could figure out how to do something remotely. Yeah, we, we, we <laughs> you know, solve, solve uh, problem. But I would say Hoop Dreams helped to usher in maybe as Roger Me did, like, up in northern Michigan or wherever, like it, 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 they helped to usher in documentary form as as a more popular film form. Um, and I was so I I can assume that maybe there was a a, a time of growth in the eighties. 
yeah, for you guys. There, there, there was, uh, and you know, but we're, you know, although that's nineties, got a big theatrical release, you know, and all of that was important. But we also had a big outreach campaign with Hoop Dreams, you know, and it was very important for us to get the film to the families and the boys that demographic who are portrayed in the film. So we had screenings all over the country. We had the theatrical release, you know, we had schools that were bringing their kids on a field trip to a legitimate theater or regular theater to see a documentary about their, you know, their world, their community. Uh, and often there'd be speakers or a panel and that kind of thing. So th- there was a lot of that done with the film. And it's not a short film. No, it's, it's, uh, as, as the distributor told us, there are two things we don't want you to, to do. We don't want you to mention uh, the word documentary, and we don't want you to mention that it's almost three hours long. <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, people didn't perceive it as, as a long film. Yeah, no, and uh, time goes away. I, I find that true for even a Frederick Wiseman film, and I sat through the most recent one, City Hall. Um, and, w- you know, what happens is you just get, if the film is good and, the you know, it's powerful, it's got incredible story going, narrative and characters, is you just don't, after a while, you're not thinking about time and what what the running time is of something you get totally kind of hypnotized and or entranced by the experience, you know, and that's definitely what happened to many millions of people with, with hoop dreams. Well, you know, uh, right now it's, it's on Hulu city. So real Steve's recent work, you know, which was originally a four hour television series. And then when the pandemic happened and George Floyd and, and the demonstrations Steve knew he had to pick it up and, and do another hour, which turned into an hour and a half. So now it's a five and a half hour television series. And that's on Hulu. I'm glad you mentioned that too. Yeah. It's City So Real? Yeah, City So Real. And is there other projects that are of note right now that people should uh, be looking out for that are available? Um, well, you know, uh, Abacus is on... Um, God, where is Abacus? Well, I know it one time. Abacus is on the Frontline site. Okay. Uh, and uh, Mining the Gap is also on Hulu. We've, we, uh, Big Louis film. Yeah, it was great, great to work with. And we have films coming out, uh, you know, Finding Ying Ying. Uh, I'm pretty sure that this has been announced now. Finding Ying Ying is going to be on MTV. Uh, so we've got, you know, we've got a lot, a lot, and a lot I think of things that you can see. You can also see my uh, last short film is available in the educational market called 63 Boycott. And it's actually something I filmed yeah. back in that period when we were talking yeah. about when I was looking, what's my career going to be? What's my, you know, I was still a student at the University of Chicago when I filmed the original footage of the school boycott, the school boycott, and then finished it just, you know, two years ago, a year and a half ago. And I was born in 1963. <laughs> and then Kartemkin was born in 1966, just to give yeah. people a little bit of a uh, context. Yeah. Well, thank you for this. And I, I am glad that you're, you're, you're feeling well. And I was concerned about that, but I knew you were back to work. So I figured. Yeah. Yeah, it's been 
quite a journey. You know, the other film that people should keep an eye out for, and it's in festivals now. So they, if they sign up for our mailing list for temp1.com, then they'll get uh, these announcements of films and festivals. It's Good plug. Dilemma of Desire, uh, which is a terrific film. That's Say it again. Dilemma of Desire. It's about okay. women's sexuality and women's desire by a Maria Finitsu. And um, the only place to see it right now is in festivals. Okay, so um, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but we can let people know. I'll I'll, I'll look into where. Yeah, it's on the website. It it just was. Uh, it may still be. I don't know if it's because of the. You know, they have these COVID screenings. Like so, it was in Doc NYC recently. Oh right. Oh, it was at it was at Doc NYC, where uh, along with Seventy Six Days, actually, which yeah. uh, is not a Cartemquin film, but I wanted to tell you when you brought up that MTV that it is an MTV film, so it'll probably be playing side by ah, side. But, okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah uh, I've gotten. Uh, I just haven't had a chance to see it, and I'm I'm in the Academy, so they're all available to me uh, through this portal. But I just have things to catch up on. I know it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot when you're trying to make films and then you have to kind of, yeah, I, I just, I finally have a screen for watching, you know, films here. Uh, I'm up now in the Hudson Valley, actually, in New York. I just got in a portal link to the new director's new films series. So that is exciting. Oh, <laughs> is that, is that? At a Lincoln Center in uh, MoMA. Okay, yeah, it's, it's that MoMA thing, right? We were, well, it's a it's a collaboration between yeah. the programmers, uh, between the you know, uh, uh, between MoMA and, and film, film at Lincoln Center. Yeah, they do it every year. More recent though, right? It was initially at MoMA. I don't know about that. I mean, as far back as I can recall, they they split the screenings between the two institutions. I, and should, I should know. Uh, we were in it with sixty three boycott, so I should know. You were? Yeah. Because <laughs> you were a new the filmmaker screening, then. The screening was at MoMA, so that's what sticks in my mind. Sure, sure. Uh, well, you were a new filmmaker. You've also had stuff at Doc Fortnite, didn't you? Or maybe that's what you're thinking of. I think I'm you're thinking, thinking of Doc, of Doc Fortnite. I yeah. think you're thinking of Doc Fortnite because uh, in 2000, I think that film was in 2018, your your film, the 63 Boycott film, was, was at Doc yeah. Fortnite 2018. Because I, I did look that up because... I was involved with a film in, that was at the year before, but I wanted to see if it was the same film or rather same season, but it wasn't. I was, it, the film I was in was the year before yeah. at Doc Fortnite. Yeah. But uh, new directors, new films is not typically known for documentary. Yeah. It's a different thing. Yeah. But you're right. Doc Fortnite is only at MoMA and it's been around for a while as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, I'll let you get back to it. I'm just, thrilled maybe we can do this again when we have another film to talk about or something like that but but really really happy i'm trying to to finish something now about a hope to have it done like by january uh about a left-handed pianist who only plays with the left hand and he's you know it's an interesting story about a guy what was wrong with his right hand he when he was a kid his mentally ill father tried to kill him and he he was trying to kill him and his brothers uh, and he hit him in the head with a hammer and his right side got paralyzed. Uh, but he went on to have a very successful career as a, a choir conductor, you know, and 
But all those years, he kept playing classical music with his left hand, and there are these special pieces written, yes. famous pieces. And so it's it's really it's really about music. It's about a a man who his life revolved around music and resilience and resilience. Yeah, it's very much about resilience. Well, you can relate. Yeah. You're a resilient guy. I'm thrilled to meet you, and uh, we'll look forward to that documentary when it's done as well. Is it a feature? Or is it a short? It's going to be a feature-length documentary. It's, it's probably going to be about 75 minutes. Very good. All right. All right. Well, if we haven't met over the years, nice to meet you. Same here. Uh, yeah. Very nice. All right. Cool. All right. I'll, t- I'll talk to you again soon. Pinocchio, starring Oscar winner Roberto Benigni and newcomer Federico Ilapi. I may have butchered uh, Federico's name. He plays Pinocchio's terrific young man. This is being released by Roadside Attractions on December 25th. That date somehow rings a bell. I don't know. Is there something I'm missing? I'm not sure. By the way, uh, even though it's an Italian film, it was this is an English language version that's coming here. And we're going to play a bit of the trailer going into this conversation. Wow. The film stars a bunch of Italian people, which none of whom I'm familiar with, although a couple of faces here and there look familiar. It's it's the effects are great. It's really well made. It's shot in stunning Italian locations. Matteo Garoni's Pinocchio magically comes to life with dreams of it becoming a real boy. Easily led astray, Pinocchio tumbles from one misadventure to another as he is tricked, kidnapped, and chased by bandits through a wonderful world of uh, full of imaginative creatures from the belly of a giant fish, the land of toys, and the field of miracles. Here is uh, the filmmaker, Matteo Garone, only on Filmwax Radio. I've been thinking to make with my hands by myself a wooden puppet. Pinocchio, try say something. Babbo. I have a son. My son is born. From one day to the next. What do you mean from one day? From one minute to the next. Watch me, eh? And one and two. If you do like me, in two or three days, you'll be walking by your... Pinocchio! He's a puppet like us. Who are you? I know a certain place called the Field of Miracles. Put him in prison! Oh, call me prison! What's going on with riddles? Hello? Ciao. Ciao, Matteo. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. <laughs> Wait, are you in your kid's room? Sorry? Are you in your child's room are you in the in your no i'm uh, i'm in my my office <laughs> oh you are you're, you're in your office uh, okay i thought i saw i wasn't sure because <laughs> no, no, nowadays my... you kind of you never know where you're going to talk to someone they they could be anywhere this is my office oh very, very good you have your light oh you're all set for zoom oh wow look at that wow <laughs> yeah. well i guess you're a filmmaker 
I have mine too, but I, I didn't. I haven't set it up. You, <laughs> okay. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you can visit and help me set up my uh, space because I'm doing a lot of this. So nice to meet you. I got to tell you, the idea of talking to you, and I enjoy talking to filmmakers quite frequently, but I was so excited by the prospect of talking to you because uh, I it just would not have guessed that I would. So there was the nice surprise, but I'm also a fan. And so take two. <laughs> Hopefully we'll think we'll, we'll hope for the best. Okay. I, I was in the middle of complimenting you. So, you know, okay. I, I was saying. I, I didn't hear, but uh, thanks anyway. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, no, uh, you know, the movies, your films that have come here and that have gotten good distribution, you know, I've been able yeah. to see or I've gone seen them in the festivals and uh, wow, you know, so terrific. Now, I think when you were a young man or young, maybe a boy, that Pinocchio, which was, of course, very popular here, but we as Americans got a very, very different version of Pinocchio. Yeah. The tale, very cleaned up. And wa- you know what I'm saying, right? Pure Disney. Everybody looked really cute. Yes. You lost the darker edge of those fairy tales. Yeah. What were you also? What 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 did you grow up on? You must have seen the Disney version when you were young. Yeah, I saw the the Disney version, but uh, in um, in my country there was a very popular television series uh, of Pinocchio by oh. directed by uh, Luigi Comencini in the nineteen seventy, uh, a very good Italian director, and so I grew up with this uh, series in television that was really good was really good oh yeah right and you would have been at a very young age right in the 70s yeah i was uh, i was uh, yeah i'm i born in 68 so at that time i was uh, around 10 10 11 years so it was end the, uh, the end of 70 so around 10 years old well you're mentioning that i saw in roberto his in his uh filmography that he even made a version he directed a version of pinocchio right about 15 16 years ago yeah roberto benini right he made a version yeah around 20 years ago uh but i remember that my first uh, first in in, um that probably um, the first time my first approach with pinocchio was even earlier than when i was 10 because uh, when i was um five or six uh-huh. uh, my mother told me the story of Pinocchio and I made a storyboard right I have I have in in my in my room uh, the storyboard of Pinocchio still by me you know so it's something that uh, I I use as a model uh, as uh, I keep in my in front of my desk because when you are um, a kid you are pure you know in a way you are yeah uh, sure yeah. So I well, then uh, that the having how old were you? You said you were less than ten. When I made the story, but I was around five, six years old. Do you want to see? That's pretty. Yes, I do. Of course. Now we've lost my I've lost my. But I'll just uh, in the meantime, I'll I don't know. I'll do uh, impressions. That's funny. There he is. Okay. Thank gosh. Oh wow. Hold on. Oh yeah, so I saw this in the production notes. Very good. Yeah, this is fantastic. This, this is my storyboard. It took wow. uh, it took uh, it took forty five years to make the movie. <laughs> yeah. 
well, remake it because you made it. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. How young were you when you realized that you could actually like do this for a living or at least explore the idea? Because it seems like you were into telling stories at a very young age. Yes. Yeah. Then I, I had a period of my life where I wanted to become a tennis player. So I, I quit a little bit. Okay. <laughs> my, and and uh, I remember I came in the States for playing tennis with the Nick Bollettieri Academy when I was 18. That's my aim. And, oh. then, uh, and then I failed. And so I, I went back to my um, to paintings. So before to be a director, I was a painter. And so okay. my background is, is this. And probably uh, you can see on, in the movie. And then I, I, I now it's around 20 years that I don't paint, but I do make a movie in a way. So I don't miss. Well, it's a, an, a remarkable, I mean, finally, the technology that's available where you could do a live action version of this. And it looks yes, exactly. remarkable. And the emotional performances are there. You can do it. Yeah. yeah. And so this was obviously your destiny to make the film on a personal level, but what about from the, like, you know, the industry, I mean, in Italy, maybe Pinocchio is still this enormous story that is where they welcome uh, retelling every so often. Well, uh, well, uh, it's, 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 I mean, we, we were very surprised uh, when uh, last Christmas uh, we, we had such an incredible success in Italy because, um, uh, in Italy, uh, a story of Pinocchio has been, you know, adapted many times. So the risk was, you know, to do something that was uh, not new. So our biggest challenge in Italy, especially, and of course, also in the rest of the world, was to make a version of Pinocchio that could be unpredictable, that could be surprising, that could be new remaining faithful to the original book. Because I don't know why, but every time there are adaptations of of Pinocchio, I don't know why in the past many other uh, directors change a lot. I wanted to be faithful, you know, so my my documentation on the, we went to the, to reach all the paintings of the period, all the photography, all the illustration of the period. And we wanted to make a version of Pinocchio really faithful to the original one, new new one. And at the same time, it's also a movie that could be a movie for family, for kids, for adults, that can have, have a sort of uh, funny and sometimes dark in other, you know, because uh, we, we know that the story of Pinocchio is uh, it's funny in some moment, but it's also dark, violent sometimes, because Collodi uh, wanted to teach to the kids uh, that the, the reality around us and uh, around them can be very dangerous, can be very violent. So be careful. Be careful, especially when, when you took a decision. Be careful, because if you take a wrong decision then you can have this consequence. So that's mm. why it show, mm. show the consequence, you know? And, and, and 
this, I think, is like in all the fairy tales, is, is always actual. It talks always about today. You know, Pinocchio is a story that talks about the past, talks about today, and talks about future. It, it talks about us, you know. Yeah. Very Italian, think... but also universal. Yes. I remember, of course, you know, Wizard of Oz when I was little. I'm sure you saw Wizard of Oz and terrifying. The witch was terrifying. The flying monkeys were even more terrifying. You had, we had Chitty Chitty Bang Bang from England, which was also had this very, very violent image of this, you know, of the uh, the villain. And, and so this kind of is in that tradition to some degree where you have real villains, real danger right around the corner all the time for Pinocchio. Do you, but kids embrace it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. our favorite films were those movies I mentioned uh, as in my generation or our generation. So I feel like this could also be the case. We don't have to clean everything up, you know, for kids. Kids are ready to actually, they can process exactly. the messages. I agree. I agree. I agree. Completely agree with you. I think it's very yeah. important. It's very important to take, you know, to have uh, uh, to to start to understand that uh, that the reality around us is not uh, only uh, beauty, but there is there is uh, dark and light. So they the kids are, are really you know sensitive and and intelligent to to understand this and to prepare them. To the world that's that's the lesson of Collodi, you know the main important lesson you know he right. teach something to them he give a lesson and he showed the concept because Pinocchio is a sort of anti-hero you know Pinocchio made always the wrong decision in his in his yes. story he always the wrong but and, the and end, pushed back when he was given advice he pushed like with the cricket you know he pushes it back even he doesn't exactly, want to hear it exactly but at the end there is a sort of redemption that is very important. See, he right. understand. He understand how important is his love for the father. How important is to take care about the father. You know. So at the end, there is a very important uh, lesson. You know, because it's an incredible love story between a father and a son. This this story. So at the end, the way how Pinocchio understand and his redemption i think is very important and it gives at the end um uh it, it bring a light in the story in oh the yeah story. yeah well and maybe is... parent sorry go ahead no no go ahead i was going to say maybe parents now parents are so at least again in the united states they're so protective of their children i mean i'm generalizing but you know, parents don't want their children to be scared and they don't want them, you know, they're so overly protective. Maybe this is the right film at the right time because our our world has been under so so much volatility going on and yeah. we're so unsure of our future all the time. It's been scary with COVID-19, with our leadership or lack of leadership, et cetera, et cetera. The movie now, seeing a movie like Pinocchio, see it with your the kids and the parents together and talk about what we're talking about rather than have them see the only the Disney version. I don't mean to constantly beat up Disney, but there should be alternatives and choice out there when it comes to storytelling. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a big, big fan of Pixar. 
for me, Pixar and the movie from Pixar are one of the of the best uh, movie. Uh, oh yes, yeah. So I'm a big fan of Pixar. So for me, but of course, you know, it's uh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. up, 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 Wally, etc. Yeah, right. Those movies, Wally. Yeah, you know, they, they and, show. And, you know, they show. They are always unpredictable. They show, yes, Wally and uh, ma- many, many others. Sorry, that's uh, no, no. I wasn't sure if that was me, and I'm getting <laughs> getting the uh, getting the, the 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 message to hurry up with the. <laughs> I need, I need an, I, uh, uh, Matteo. I need another hour with you. I, I feel uh, <laughs> there's so much to talk about, yeah. you know. But but I'm glad Pinocchio's coming here, and uh, I'm going to urge. Again, I'll urge, this is a great family film. Maybe over the holidays, people can pre- uh, watch it. Does it, it comes out on uh, Christmas? Yes, last Christmas in Italy, uh, just before the COVID. And it was, uh, was the... Well, I'm saying here, though. Here. Huh? I think it's coming ah, yes, out here. Yes, in Chelsea Christmas. Could, yes. Christmas. She, I just got a message confirming that... It, uh, it is coming out on Christmas, and I will make sure that I urge everybody to see to see it. Uh, but yeah, Thanks. I enjoyed it. I, are you already moved on to your next project? Uh, no, I'm, at the moment I'm um, I'm looking for a new idea. Um, but uh, you know, for me, the work on Pinocchio has been such intense and such long period of my life. So also beautiful because we, we work on this project for three years and I, I lived for three years with this uh, character, you know, in well, that world. Well, not including the storyboard you, you showed me three years. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> maybe 43. So, yeah, so now I have to, to find a new, a new challenge, a new project. And uh, in this period, it's not easy to find, you know, to... To find, you know, an idea that um, makes sense to do, that uh, that I really yeah. uh, want to make, so I am not in a hurry. And uh, but at the same time, I'm really uh, happy and and thrilled about the the fact that uh, finally Pinocchio arrived in the States, and uh, and happy that uh, they will be um, they will be shown in theater. Because I think it's a movie that in theater, in the big screen, can have an impact very strong on the audience. And so in this moment, I know that it's a difficult moment, a desperate moment. But um, I hope that um, the the audience at the beginning will see the movie in the cinema. That's uh, something that I think for kids and for adults... In the States, I think there will be a moment that probably they will re- remember. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if this were the first movie that people started returning to the movie? Uh, yeah. It would be. I hope, I hope the, I mean, I don't, I'm not 100% sure what the movies, go, movie going is like in Italy right now, but here it's pretty, been pretty bleak. Yeah. No, yeah. Anyway, I'm, I've been also very, very lucky that Roberto, Benigni was with me on this on this project. Yeah, he's so perfect. He's finally aged into being Geppetto. What I don't know. He's he's how he feels about he's that, but he's so he's perfect. 
Yeah, it's perfect. He, he, grow, he, he comes from uh, Tuscany. He grew up in a family of farmer, very poor. So mm -hmm. he was Geppetto. He was really Geppetto. You know? His parents were a farmer. And we know that Pinocchio is a story also that talks about a specific moment of, uh, of Italy at the end of uh, 19th century. And he talks about poverty. He talks about poverty. Yes. So right. it's one of the main characters in the story. Yeah, as a matter of fact, one of your earliest sequences it shows Geppetto coming into the uh, tavern. Yeah. Uh, isn't it, it's a ta like a, a restaurant or cafe, yes. a tavern. There were no cafes. <laughs> there, was, uh, there were pubs and taverns, but he, he comes in and the chair is a little wobbly and he, yeah. he you know, and he wants, he offers to fix it just for any, any kind of money or and then yeah. the table doesn't work is lopsided. And then the door is not correctly placed. So he's, he's desperate, you know, yeah, you see desperation. We laugh about it, but we also know that people are desperate, have been desperate, and yeah, that's one of those very, very honest uh, film uh, stories, rather. Yeah, yeah. I think we're winding down. So uh, anyway, I got to wrap it up with you. It's I, I I don't usually do short interviews because I like to get into things a little bit more. I know, I know. in a nuanced way. But with I made an exception because I, I want people to see Pinocchio, but I also wanted to meet you personally. So Thank you. Thank you. It was a real pleasure to talk with you. Oh, same Thanks. here. Thank you. For, and thank you for showing me the storyboard. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's good to meet you. <laughs> okay. Ciao. 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 And now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the Donkey Pinocchio! to be a puppet. I want to become a boy like all the others. Thank you, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week. Have a happy Christmas, as they say on, on The Crown. And um, we will be back with a, another episode next week because we don't stop just because of the holiday. We keep providing you with the highest level of entertainment possible. Again, feel free to visit our YouTube channel and check out all of the videos. There's content there that you won't find on the podcast. And you can look at my beautiful uh, face at, at, the, at the same time. What a miracle. Uh, and then, um, uh, of course, we are social media-wise, uh, available through most of those platforms, including uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And you can find the podcast on most of the major podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So please do subscribe. Please do review and rate our show. Thank you so much. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time. <laughs>